right, kicking off a brand new series today that I'm really excited about because when you look around the world that you live in, uh, you ought to start feeling like you are at least a little bit different, right? Yeah, so, but before we do that, um, I just wanted to celebrate a couple things. Uh, first of all, it was just last week that we baptized three people right here, and uh, so let's put our hands together. That is why we do what we do. Jesus told us that if we would follow him, he would make us fishers of men. And so that's what we're here for. And so we're excited about that. We also had a men's event on Saturday and uh, was one of the more enjoyable men's events that I, that I think we've had. And uh, it, was, it was really good. And uh, I know that the Holy Spirit was speaking uh, in that room as we were considering what it means to be a godly man. And uh, so, ladies, get out to that women's event. It's, uh, it's through the word and the fellowship and the building of the spiritual house that God uh, speaks to us. And so, man, a lot of good things happening. And we're excited about the future as we uh, engage with what the Holy Spirit is doing. And um, let me also encourage you... Uh, We are in the last week of 21 days of prayer, and I would encourage you to lean in seven days, all right, seven days, 6 a.m., and I know it records, but in the name of Jesus, you can get up at 6 a.m. for a week, all right, let's finish strong and uh, seek the Lord together. Uh, Our theme is pray first. Paul said that we should pray without ceasing. And so we want to be people of prayer. And Jesus, Scripture tells us that Jesus on a certain time in a certain place would daily go out and pray. And so we're building habits. We want to build healthy habits. And uh, prayer is perhaps one of the most healthy you can, you can build. And so kicking off this series in First Peter. So if you have a Bible, go to First Peter. Uh, we're going to be right in the beginning of it, the first few verses. And uh, it's going to be a great... Great series, uh, but different. I want you to think about your life. Peter kicks off his book with some difficult things, some difficult things. In fact, uh, look what he says here in First Peter 1. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. If you have a paper Bible, I would highlight that phrase. Uh, elect exiles. What that means is... You, if you know Christ, were literally handpicked by God to be an exile. Do you know what an exile is? Other translations call it some different things. Let me, let me tell you what some of those are. Um, called sojourners, aliens, strangers, foreigners. Does that sound like anybody's life in the church? If you walk around your place of employment, if you walk around your neighborhood, if you uh, have your kids in sports, if you do anything at all, you will come to the conclusion that you're different. And what I want to encourage you with today is the fact that not only are you different, but you were handpicked by God to be different. You are, as the ESV translates it, and I think appropriately, an elect exile. But as you think about that, 
Peter's going to call us to this joy of being different. But he's going to do it in some interesting circumstances. Uh, these people were people that were facing trials. Uh, maybe you're here today and you're facing a trial. When you, when you just begin to think through what some of the some of the things that are the desires of your heart, even things that are godly desires that aren't happening, uh, we can identify. And yet, in some ways, we can't, because here's this group of people who were scattered all over the place. And are in all these different regions and Peter's writing to them and saying, listen, in the midst of your trial, in the midst of what God's doing in your life and you fill in the blank for you just like they were for them. God is doing something. It's when you feel helpless that God is offering you hope. I read a quote several years ago that has always stuck with me and maybe it'll stick with you. Uh, one writer said that God's office is at the end of your rope. Because what happens when you reach the end of your rope? You stop relying on you and you start relying on him. And so that that's where we start. Okay, because Peter, the context of this book is, uh, anybody know the author of First Peter? Nobody's going to answer that question? Peter, Kenny wins the prize. I don't have any prizes, but if I did, it would be yours. Peter, right? Who was Peter? I want you to process some of this. Peter was an uneducated fisherman. He didn't have Bible training. He didn't have seminary. He didn't have any of the things that we would look at a uh, spiritual leader and say, that's my guy. In fact, Peter was uh, not just described as an uneducated fisherman on purpose in the Bible, but think about some of the things that he went to. Uh, Peter wrote between 60 and 65 during the reign of Nero. Okay, If you don't know anything about Nero, uh, Christians faced extreme persecution under Nero. And so just, just a couple of quick facts just to give you some, uh, some context for what Peter's about to say to you and what he said to them and just put it in perspective for you. Because okay, sometimes we start to feel sorry for ourselves, and I want to help you not feel sorry for yourself, but feel hope for yourself, that you can do what God's called you to do. And so here's Nero, and uh, there's uh, writing about the fact that he would take Christians and do a couple of things. Uh, one of the things that was his favorite to do was he liked to be entertained, like all of us, but they didn't have cable television or Netflix. So uh, he decided to take Christians, take animal skins, strap animal skins to them and put them out in a large cage and let wild animals in to see what would happen. Well, you and I know what would happen. And they would just rip the Christians apart. And that was like just pure entertainment for him. It was television for Nero. There's other reports that when he would throw a party, he would take live Christians, dip them in hot wax, pull them out and light their hair on fire. And they would be the candles for his party. This is the scenario into which Peter is writing to these Christians and saying, you're elect exiles. You were handpicked by God for this moment, for this suffering. And that should move your heart and mind. Beyond that, in July of 64 AD, uh, Rome caught on fire. 
And there was a great fire, and it burned for about six days. And um, historians believe that Nero actually set the fire because he had this insatiable lust to build. He wanted to build stuff, and so he wanted to rebuild the city, rebuild Rome, and wanted to do it. And the, uh, the for lack of a better term, their version of Congress uh, said, no, you can't. And so he lit it on fire, historians believe. And it burned uncontrollably for six days. And then they finally put it out. And then it burned for another three days. They actually weren't able to put it out. And so all this widespread destruction, well, people started to wonder, who, who lit this on fire? Oh, we think it was Nero. And so rather than being like, yeah, I want to build, I'm going to build, he blamed it on the Christians. And so what was already intense persecution became worse. And that's where we find ourselves in the book of Peter. We can think about it this way. This world is not your home. And yet, it is your home. God has called you into this place at this time in his sovereignty to walk through the things that you're walking through. Elect exiles. Think about that verse 1 again. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. And he lists all those places. And so what's going to happen is Peter's going to lay out for them that you're not from here. What's an exile? Somebody who's put out of the place they were from. So Peter's saying, for those of you living here in this moment, you're here, but you're not welcome here. You're not from here. This isn't your destination and because you're not here you don't live like those that are from here when the holy spirit comes in and sets you apart you become different the bible says it this way that the old is gone and the new has come now you and i both know that that old person is clawing and scratching and trying to make their way back into your heart but what does the bible say That you are a new creation. And that you have been clothed in Christ. So what does that look like as followers of Jesus? We're not called to look like the rest of the world. We have different values, different standards, different goals. And so over the next four weeks, I want to look at that. Today, I want to give you some things about different faith in trials. We have a different kind of faith when we suffer than somebody who does not have Christ. Next week, we're going to talk about different values in an unholy culture. What are our values when it looks like all the values are gone? What do we hang on to? Week three, we're going to talk about a different calling in a dark world. The Bible reminds us that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of the darkness of this world. You know, it's not just a fairy tale, that's real. The oppression and opposition you face on a daily basis is from Satan. What are we supposed to do? And then week number four, we're going to culminate that different perspective and persecution, which we face in some ways, but certainly in the days to come will get worse. And will probably be good for us. So that's where we're headed. But today, different faith in trials. When you and I think about trials, we think that trials are bad. Just immediately we come to this idea that trials are bad. Why would God allow this? 
And when I look around the room, I know many of you, and I, I know the trials that you're facing and the struggles that you're facing. And if you're in the middle of a difficult time, I, I want you to think about this fact that your faith is being tested. Listen to what Peter goes on down in verse 6. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, he says this. And I just want you to think about what he's telling them to do. Okay, The people I just described who every time they walked out the front door of their house, the possibility, or every time they laid their head down on their pillow, the possibility was there that I was going to Nero's entertainment. The possibility was there that somebody would accuse me and come in here and take my family falsely. Those were the things pressing in on them. And listen to what Peter says. It's almost, it's almost unheard of. Here's what he said. In this you rejoice. Put your trial there. Peter says, in this you rejoice. Why? Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Here's one of the reasons I believe in the God of the Bible, that your suffering isn't useless, that your suffering isn't in vain, that every time you face a difficulty, it's your faith being tested so that, look at verse 7, the tested genuine, genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, listen to this, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That when you stand before God, He would look at you and say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. It will put all of your suffering, it will just play pale in comparison when you stand before the God of the universe and your good Father, who at that moment we will begin to glimpse the true righteousness, the holiness and justice of God. There's a very real point to your suffering. A real point. And the point is the praise of Jesus Christ. No matter what you're going through, it is for the praise of Jesus Christ. And I don't want that to discourage you. I want that to encourage you. Because if there's a God who's being praised, there's a God who can answer your prayers. James reminds us that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man has great power. We see examples all through scripture of that. We see Hannah begging God for a child. And she's given one. We meet that man on the road with Jesus. And he looks Jesus, Jesus in the eye. And says, I believe, but you have to help my unbelief. And Jesus goes and heals that man's son. And the Bible tells us that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God that lives in you is the same God that was living then. And so there's a point, but one of the greatest challenges that I see in the church today and even in our church is false faith. Because see, if there's a tested genuine faith, by implication there's a what? There's a false faith. I just want to give you three of them to think about today and to challenge yourself with. If you have the notes, you're going you're gonna to see these blanks on your notes. Uh, if you have a smartphone, you can follow along on the YouVersion Bible app under events. Okay, but, but, but here's the first one that comes to mind. 
is an inherited faith. I've had so many conversations over the last year and a half that we started this church about people's faith. My dad was Methodist. My mom was Baptist. I was baptized as a baby. Of all these different things like that are informing the fact that I'm a Christian. One of the, I was sharing with somebody this week, one of the things that's really funny about my job is that people sometimes feel the need to confess things to me. Like somebody served me coffee on Tuesday uh, at a Starbucks. And um, <laughs> it's just funny because, first of all, I have a tattoo here that says to Telestai, which means it is finished. It's what Jesus said on the cross. And so it's a real conversation starter, obviously. And so this, this girl asked me what my tattoo meant. So I explained it to her. And I said, well, I, you know, I moved to Tampa to start a church. And you should come. Here's all the information, blah. You know, and she was like, man. You know, I just, I really like church. I just, you know, I haven't, I haven't gone in a while. You know, I've kind of walked away and I'm just like, I confess my sins every day too. Like, that's the point. That you would come. That you would come. Not that you were raised a certain way. Not that you have a parent who believes a certain thing. Not that you even think there's a God out there. But that you would confess Jesus as Lord. You know, the scriptures tell us that you can't confess Jesus as Lord unless the Holy Spirit gives that to you. Unless you are allowed in that space. And so if, you're, if you have kids like I do, one of the things I wonder all the time is like at what point... Can we call them a Christian? At what point are they following Jesus? And we just cling to that scripture. When they can clearly confess Jesus as Lord. And understand what that means. I think that's the age of accountability. That at that point where they're able to express that God is God. And they are not. Second kind of. False faith is a shallow faith. The scripture reminds us that a sower sows seed. We sow seed with the gospel. And then it takes root. But then the worries of life, the deceitfulness of the devil, the deceitfulness of our wealth, the desire for the things of this world choke out the word, the Bible says. Here's one of the most difficult things about being a pastor, especially of a smaller church plant. Is that I know in six months, some of you sitting here won't be engaged in the faith. It's one of the worst parts about being a pastor. And so I would like to make eye contact with every one of you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> breathe, people, breathe. <laughs> but listen, we, we get busy with school or busy with student loans or busy with a car payment or busy partying or busy doing whatever it is that we do, taking our kids here, taking our kids there, doing all the things that we do. And God just kind of takes a back seat. When Scripture said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all those things will be added unto you. There's a third one that I, that I think is prevalent, and that's conditional faith. I'll believe as long as things go my way, or I'll believe as long as I don't have to believe that part. But that's not faith. It's 
Scripture tells us that faith is the evidence of things not seen. It's that we trust in the Lord. A lot of times a crisis can cause people to draw near or push them away. My spouse left me. I'm struggling financially. A child's struggling. How can I believe God? This trial's testing my faith. The Bible also talks about uh, the church being pruned. That there is testing that comes. And it's the, Peter says the tested genuine of your faith. So how does God use your trials? How is God using your trials? I've referred to the fact that God is at work in your trials. He's using your trials. I want you to look back at what Peter says here. Uh, number one on your notes under how does God use your trials? Trials reveal your faith. Because as we talk about these uh, fake faith, there's a real and genuine faith that Peter refers to in verse 7, that the tested genuine, uh, genuineness of your faith may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor of Jesus Christ. That when you stand before God, it would be the praise, the tested genuineness of your faith that would praise Him. What is the tested genuineness of your faith? You see, because right now, probably most of you, if not all of you, including me when I first read this passage, are thinking, all right, I'm going to get out my notes app here, my to-do list, and I'm going to start putting down, I'm going to pray more, I'm going to witness more, I'm going to do this, 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 and this, but that's not righteousness. That's self-righteousness. What is the tested genuineness of your faith? What does it mean to follow Jesus, to lay your life down and accept his, and be given his, to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ? What, what is the difference? We try to say this all the time here. What is the difference between the God of the Bible and every other religion, that God saw you in your sin and He came down to do for you what you could not do for yourself. The only hope you stand a chance to do anything that the Bible calls you to do is in and through Christ. If you don't have Christ, you're wasting your time. You will get burned out, fizzled out, and quit. You will be a statistic of the church. Because if you're doing it because you have to, man, you'll get you'll get fried real fast. But if you're doing it because you get to, oh, there's a difference there. There's a difference there. A faith that is tested is a faith that is trusted. Listen to what the Bible says in Luke chapter 22 of Peter. Trials reveal your faith, right? Who why could Peter write that? <laughs> because if anybody walked through stuff, it was Peter. Here's Jesus looking Peter in the eye. And by the way, Peter just confessed Jesus correctly. And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. And Peter was probably like, yeah. And it was just like a few days later that here's the prophetic... <laughs> Statement of Jesus, and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. How many of you feel like that today? Satan sifting you like wheat. Listen to this. Jesus said this, but I have prayed for you 
that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. What is happening there? Jesus is testing Peter's faith. What did Peter need to learn? That Peter couldn't do what Peter needed to do. Because what happened in the garden? Peter whips out his sword at that soldier and is like, and like chop the guy's ears off. And Jesus is like, no, no, puts the guy's ear back on. He's like, Peter. It was Peter doing Peter's stuff. And then Satan just began to sift Peter's heart. I've, I've often wondered what happened between slice the guy's ear off, Peter, and literally between 24 or 48 hours, somewhere in there, it's, it's within days Peter is denying Christ and cussing out a girl about it. What happened? The same thing that happens to you and me. We go through these peaks and valleys of, of walking with the Lord and the, and the reality is, is that is who we are. We aren't reliable. The Bible says there's, that none of us are seeking after the Lord, that we're all like sheep without a shepherd. Peter's early years, he was obnoxious, impulsive, cocky, inconsistent, and in the later years, he was faithful, devoted, patient, and bold. He went from denying Christ three times cussing somebody out in the shadow of the cross and went to, as church history tells us, to die the death of a martyr. What happened there? Peter tells him, right here in 1 Peter 1, it's the tested genuineness of your faith. Why could Peter write in this rejoice? Because if God's testing you, it's a sign that your faith is true. It's a sign that your faith is genuine because trials reveal your faith. It's not about who you are when things are going great. It's about who you are when things are not going great. Amen. James, living in the same time period, writes this in James chapter 1. Count it all. You say it. You know it. Joy, my brothers. Put the SV, but just for you ladies, the NIV says sisters too. When you meet trials of various kinds, here it is, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I like that word, steadfast. Man, I want to be steadfast. I don't want to be flaky, weak sauce. And then look at this. It's the testing of your faith that produces that steadfastness. And listen, listen to that, what that flowing of that is. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How can you be on your way to be burned at the stake, lacking nothing? How does that even happen? The testing of your faith. Leads us into number two here. As you think through that, as you're wrecked with pain, the promise to you is that there's purpose in your pain. Because number two, trials draw you closer to God. I don't know if you ever had this experience, but uh, when things are just so comfortable, you just 
think like, man, what if I just sold everything I had and moved to a different country? <laughs> what if I just ran? What if I just ran from this thing we call the American dream that has let every single one of you down? And if it hasn't, get ready. Listen to what Peter says in verse 8. I love this. This, this, is, this is our hope. This is our confession. You want to know what you need to tell somebody when you witness to them? Here it is. It's Peter who said, be ready always to give an answer for the hope that lies within. Here's Peter's hope. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Why could they go to be burned at the stake with joy? Because they were about to step into the presence of Jesus. Let persecution come. The trials that we go through draw us closer to God. The good news isn't that God saves us from our trials. The good news is that God saves us in our trials. there's a phrase out there that God won't give you more than you can handle. That's not true at all. Most of the time, he's giving you more than you can handle. I mean, any honest reading of this book. Gideon hiding in the wine press, shaking in in his boots. Moses just, just wanted to quit, got angry and struck the rock, man. He's like, I don't even care. Whack! Out comes the water. Have you ever do that? Ah! I'm sorry. Man, God often gives you more than you can handle. And what we'll learn to do as the testing of our faith, faith perfects us, is to rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Peter, man, he was the rock. But he was, he was like a, a mushy rock. <laughs> he was like the rock pillow that looks like a rock, but you can throw it to somebody and they catch it and they're like, oh, that, that's not a rock. That was Peter, man. Why? Because it wasn't about Peter. What's your trial today? What's your trial? Some of you are walking through some stuff right now that is heavy. Like, let's not, let's not walk in here and act like everything's great, because it's not. We walk in here with a smile. Most of the time we leave with a smile, unless we're annoyed by, you know, a child's worker or the pastor. And uh, just for instance. And uh, listen, if you're not being tested, you will be. But it's our perspective in that where... We can draw near to God. Scripture tells us that when we draw near to God, He draws near to us. The Scripture's full of promises for you when you're suffering. It also is very real that you're going to suffer. Paul told Timothy, as you're pastoring people, remind them that anyone who desires to live a godly life will suffer persecution. It's coming. And persecution is going to weed out the church. And... My prayer for you is that you would be rooted in faith. 
that the testing of your faith would produce steadfastness. That as you consider everything going on in your life, that it would be the hand of God. In your shortcomings, he's sanding off your edges. In your uh, talents and abilities, they're not for you. They're for you to serve others in joy. There's a, a takeaway from all of it that I, that I think we need to think through, and I think it's in your notes. And it's this, that my faith isn't based on what I see. My faith is based on who God is. There's a huge difference between what you see and who God is. God is faithful. And he's closer than a brother. He's the friend who sticks closer than a brother. So whatever you're going through, you'll go through. And it's the tested genuineness of your faith that results in the praise and honor and glory of Jesus.